0: If you would turn to Exodus chapter thirty-three. Exodus chapter thirty-three. We'll be starting in verse twelve. Again, that's Exodus thirty-three, verse twelve. And if you would please stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Moses said to the Lord, "See." You say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet, you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Let's pray. Dear God, our Father, our, our Lord, God, I pray this morning as we approach this text, Lord, as we get... Uh, Closer really to the climax uh, uh, The most important Portion of the book of Exodus Lord As as We get to the, the place Lord where you Are going to reveal truly Who you are God I pray that we continue To see your son throughout these passages Lord I thank you for Writing in the way that you have Inspiring Moses to, to write these True stories down Lord Connecting the scripture as a whole, Lord Old and New Testament, Lord God, I pray this morning that we learn More about your son Through Moses' intercession Lord, through his mediation Through his prayer Lord, for the Israelites God, I pray that we are Humbled As we realize how much we need a Mediator, intercessor As we realize how much We need your son God, I pray that you're with us your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Today we're going to be looking at Moses' third intercession with God as Israel's mediator. This is the third time he he goes to God on behalf of the Israelites after Israel's sin the worship of the golden calf. And I think it's important to remind us really the context of this passage as we've been slowly working through the bu- book of Exodus. Israel has sinned and they've sinned as we've seen in a horrible way. They've worshipped and sacrificed to a false god, a, a golden calf. And it's clear in the law that the penalty for this sin is destruction. In fact, Exodus 22, verse 20, this is found in the book of the covenant, the book of the covenant that the Israelites agreed to follow. It says this, Whoever sacrifices to any god, lowercase g, any god, other than the Lord alone, shall be devoted to destruction. But before God has a chance to administrate justice, Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. And Moses' first intercession, after he comes to the Lord as their mediator and, and prays for the Israelites and intercedes for them, it says that the Lord relented from the disaster that, the, that he had spoken of bringing on This is Exodus 32, verse 14. In other words, God showed Israel mercy. He showed Israel mercy. Now, I think it's important to understand the difference between mercy and grace. I think most Christians, or at least many Christians, see these two words as synonymous. and, And in a lot of ways, they are definitely related, but they're not exactly equal. Mercy is God not punishing us as we deserve because of our sin, grace is God blessing us despite the fact that we don't deserve his blessing. In other words, mercy is not giving us what we deserve, destruction, death. Grace is giving us something we don't deserve, God's favor, God's blessings, God's presence, a relationship with him. And at this point, in Moses' intercession, God has promised not to give Israel what they deserve, which is destruction. Again, that's mercy. He's being merciful towards the Israelites. But God's grace is still in question. Will Israel still be God's people after this sin? Will, Will God's grace still be poured out on this nation? This is the question that will be answered today, and I have three points to the sermon this morning. The three points are, are these. God's plan, Israel's only hope, Moses' intercession. Again, that's God's plan, Israel's only hope, and Moses' intercession. So let's start with God's plan. At this point, the golden calf has been destroyed by Moses. The people have been brought back under control by Moses' leadership. Aaron has been confronted again by Moses. The question is, where do we go from here? Look at verse 1, Exodus 33, verse 1. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out, uh, brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Pesachites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Up to this point, it sounds like everything's good. It seems like everything's back to normal. God is still giving the promised land. He's still sending an angel before the Israelites to, to clear out the people so they can take over the promised land. It sounds normal, but there's a few hints in verses 1 and 2 that tell us all is not well. In fact, throughout our passage this morning, I want you to pay very close attention when moses and yahweh speak to each other we see this conversation between moses and god i want you to pay close attention to the pronouns as i've been saying throughout these passages moses's words and yahweh's words back and forth are so intentional in fact i am i'm just so impressed by the clarity and the Specific words used in their interaction back and forth. So I would ask you just to pay attention to the pronouns. Again, look at verse 1. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people. Not my people. It's still the people. It's the first hint that not all is well. And then he says this, Whom... You, he's talking to Moses, whom you, Moses, have brought up out of the land of Egypt. Remember, this is what Israel claimed when they were sinning. They told Aaron in Exodus 32, verse 1, As for this Moses, the man, not God, not Yahweh, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. God is still repeating the Israelites' words, their claim, which tells us that there is still a separation between Yahweh and Israel at this point. There's a separation caused by Israel's sin. The relationship has not been reconciled. God is showing mercy to the Israelites by not destroying them as the law required. But there's still a separation. And this is clear in verse 3. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but... I will not go up among you. I will give you the promised land, but I'm not going. My presence will not go with you, the Israelites. Now, let me point something out because I think it's important. We spend so much time getting really into the specifics of these passages, and I've been going through this extremely slow, as I've been told. Um sometimes we need to back out and remind us where we are at in the the book as a whole, and I want to remind us that Exodus 24 through 40 is all about the tabernacle. Almost the second half of the book of Exodus is is mostly about the tabernacle. That's the main theme of the second half of the book of Exodus. Verse 3 is telling us that the, the whole purpose of the tabernacle is now in question. I will not go up among you, and in Hebrew, it could be translated like this, I will not go up In your midst. It's an important phrase in this portion of Scripture. This is clearly referring to the tabernacle. In fact, the whole purpose of the tabernacle is found in Exodus 25, verse 8, where God said, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. In this verse, God is saying, Build me a sanctuary, a tabernacle, that I may dwell with the people in their midst. Look at verse 3. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, or or literally in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. The point of verse 3 is that, again, the whole purpose of the tabernacle, which is God dwelling in the midst of the people, that is the reason for the tabernacle. The The whole thing is in question. Because of Israel's sin. God will give Israel the promised land, but he's not going. He says, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. This is God's plan. This is what he presents to to Moses. Now, I want you to see Israel's response. Verse 4. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And in verse 4, I think Israel gets it. Actually, often throughout the Old Testament, it's mostly Israel not getting it. This is one of the places they actually get it. They understand what they have lost. They understand that that the promised land without God, this is what they say, is a disastrous word. It's not somewhat okay. (laughs) Okay. a disastrous word. They get it. Again, verse 4, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. For a single moment I should go up among you. I will consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward." Well, the ornaments here are, is jewelry that they would wear, probably the gold given to them uh, by the Egyptians during the Exodus, or God put it on the heart of the Egyptians to give the Israelites their jewelry, their gold. By taking it off, it was, it was a sign of mourning, and really I think it's a sign of unworthiness. Israel, I believe, in this, in this moment of time, is truly repentant. They had a deep sorrow over their sin, And before we go on to the next point, I I just think there's a lesson we can learn from Israel's response here. And maybe it's it's more of just a probing question that, that i like to throw out there. Would you be okay if God promised you blessings from him, but not a relationship with him? Or here's another way of asking this. Are you deeply in love with God, or are you only interested in his blessings? That's an important question to ask. It's an important question to ask, and we see this in our passage this morning. We're going to come back to this question, but here's God's plan. It was to, to give Israel the promised land without the tabernacle, without his presence. And again, Israel calls this a disastrous word. They mourn over this disastrous word This brings me to the second point this morning God's plan leads to Israel's only hope and Israel's only hope in this passage is Moses it's Moses Israel's only hope for reconciliation with God rests on the shoulders of their mediator which is Moses look at verse 7 Now, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. Now, let me just kind of explain what's going on here. Verses 7 through 11, the the author kind of pulls away from the narrative. He pulls away from the narrative and gives us some background information. This information really helps us understand how Moses would communicate with God during this time uh, in the wilderness. Sometimes, as we've seen over and over again, God would call Moses up the mountain to the top of the mountain in the presence of God. But when Moses wanted to talk with God, when the people wanted to to talk with God, it seems like he couldn't just walk up the mountain. So he did something different. Verse 7 again. Now, Moses used to uh, take the tent and pitch it outside of the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the Tenomeni. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside of the camp. Now, don't get confused by the name tent of meeting. I want to be clear, this is not the tabernacle. It's not the tabernacle. At this point, the tabernacle hasn't been built yet. I, I heard this analogy, and I don't know how true this is, so you can tell me if I'm wrong or right afterwards, but the point is still the same. I heard an analogy that, that we have Air Force One, where the president flies in, But if the president is flying in a different plane, that plane becomes Air Force One. I'm seeing a lot of my military people shaking their heads, so I think that's true. The point is the same. No matter what plane the president is on, it's called Air Force One. Well, I think this is true for the tent of meetings. This is not the tabernacle. This is a tent where Moses would meet with the Lord. That's what the tabernacle will become. In fact, I I think this is kind of a prefigure to the tabernacle or a foreshadowing. It was a way of meeting with God before the tabernacle was built. They would send Moses to the tent so that Moses could communicate with God. Look at verse 8. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up. Each would stand at, at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Now this is a pretty incredible couple of verses here. Let me just point out a few things about this passage verses 7 through 11 is actually another chiasm and we've talked about chiasms enough to kind of know how that works i'm not going to outline this chiasm you can probably if you read through it see how it's kind of going back and forth but remember uh, often the the there's a chiasm there because the center is typically the most important thing in that passage The author, in other words, is pointing the reader right to the center. Well, what's right at the center of this chiasm? The end of verse 9, which says this, And the Lord would speak with Moses. Capital L-O-R-D, that means God's name, Yahweh, would speak with Moses. The author is giving us background information here because he wants us to know that Israel had only one hope at this point in reconciliation in, in reconciling their their relationship with the Lord and, and that hope was Moses, their mediator, their intercessor, the one who would talk with Yahweh on their behalf. Now I want you to picture this because again this is an incredible scene that's that's displayed here as Moses, Approaches this tent This is not the tabernacle again The tabernacle would be right in the the middle of the camp That's where it's supposed to go This is way outside the camp A lot of theologians believe It's probably at the base of Mount Sinai So lift it up a little bit So when he would go to the tent Everyone could see him walking to the tent As Moses approached this tent And the Israelites would stand at their doorway The doorway of their tents Watching him as he Would go towards this tent. And as he entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend on the tent. And what did the people do? They worshiped. Look at verse 10. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. And they understood what was happening. Moses was interceding for them. He was mediating on on their behalf, so they worshipped. Let me point out one more thing, and I'm sure this caught your eye as I read through this passage. It's a pretty incredible verse, and that's verse 11. It says this, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man Speaks to his friend. Can you imagine this privilege? To be honest, I don't even know exactly what it means because within a few verses, God will tell Moses, no one can see my face and live, Moses. (laughs) So I think there's some mystery here. In fact, there's all types of interpretations of what's going on here. I, I think there's some mystery, but one thing we know for sure this was a privileged duty that Moses was given. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Just listen to Deuteronomy 34, verse 10. This is the very end of the, the Pentateuch. This is after Moses' death. It says this, And there has not arisen a prophet, prophet since In Israel, like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. No other prophet in the Old Testament had this privilege. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now, I've hit this point a number of times, but... but I just want to do it again. If you would, just turn to Numbers 12, verse 6, because I think this is just so important. Numbers 12, verse 6. Numbers 12, verse 6 says this. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant, Moses. He is faithful in all my house. Now, house here is Israel. Moses is, in other words, the faithful mediator between the Lord, between Yahweh and Israel. He is faithful in all my house. Verse 8. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Moses was God's servant. He would speak with God face to face, mouth to mouth. A person speaks to a friend. He was faithful in all of God's house. Now turn to Hebrews 3, verse 1. Hebrews 3, verse 1. This is in the New Testament. After the Gospels, after all the Pauline epistles, Hebrews 3, verse 1. So you know, I, I believe Hebrews is like a commentary on the Old Testament. It really helps us understand how to use the Old Testament and interpret the Old Testament. So, so let's look at what it says. Hebrews 3, verse 1 says there, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. That's Numbers 12, verse 8 right there, is what we just read. And Moses was faithful in God's house. Look what it says in verse 3, 4. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant saw that a number of times. Moses was God's servant. To testify to the things that were to be spoken later, look at verse 6, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Listen, Moses talked to God face-to-face as a servant. Jesus talks to the Father face-to-face as a son, as an equal, fully God himself. Jesus is the truer and better Moses. He is the truer and better mediator between God and man. Therefore, just like Moses was Israel's only hope for reconciliation with God, Jesus is our only hope. It is through Jesus that we have access to the Father. Again, he's the truer and better Moses. You know, before studying Exodus, I always thought the greatest prefigure of Christ was David. After studying Exodus, (laughs) I really believe just Moses is the greatest prefigure to Christ. His life points us straight to Christ. Now, I have pointed this out over and over and over again, and I've done this for a couple of reasons. One, it's what the text is doing. The text is showing Moses in this role because it's pointing forward to a greater Moses that one day will come. So I'm trying to be faithful to the text. But, but here's why, another reason why I do this. I, I believe by studying Moses, we can have a better understanding of Jesus. Especially his role as a mediator. This would have been presupposed knowledge for the author of Hebrew, that they would just know Moses' role, and, and the author is building off that to explain Jesus better brings us to the last point, and this is really where I wanted to spend most of our time. Moses' intercession where I think we'll learn more about Jesus here. Turn back to Exodus 33, verse 12. Exodus 33, verse 12. This is really kind of the climax of all the drama of the golden calf narrative. And in my opinion, I really believe this is the climax of the entire book of Exodus. Exodus. Meaning, the words in the next few verses will start this week and really kind of conclude next week. The the words in these verses that we're going over this morning are very important. Next is 33, 12 through 17. Once again, all the weight of Israel's future rests on Moses' shoulder as he intercedes on behalf of the people. remind you of the context. Moses has already interceded twice at this point, and through his intercession, through his prayers, And mediation to God God has promised mercy On Israel He's not going to destroy them in other words God even has promised to bless them With earthly blessings The promised land But there's still mediation that needs to be done Because God is not going with them Which according to the, the Israelites According to Moses is a disastrous word Therefore Moses once again goes to God To intercede on Israel's behalf Look at verse 12 Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet, you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, that's forceful language. Moses starts by saying, See, or it could be translated, Look. See. You you say to me, bring up this people. In other words, Rich, you have told me to take this people out of Egypt and take them to the promised land. But now you're not going with me? Who are you going to send with me, God? You have not not let me know whom you will send with me. In other words, I think Moses is saying, I, I can't do this job without you. up to this point, God has told Moses over and over and over again that he was going to go with Moses. In fact, he was going to do the job. He would lead. Let me just give you a couple examples. Exodus 3, verse 17, it says this, so I said, I, this is Yahweh, will bring you up out of the afflictions of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite. That's the promised land. For Exodus thirteen five it says this, it shall be when the Lord, that's Yahweh, the Lord brings you To the land of the Canaanites. The promised land. He will bring them. Or Exodus 13, 11. Now when the Lord, again, Yahweh brings you to the land of the Canaanites. As he has swore to you and to your fathers. And gives it to you. God has told Moses over and over again. That he would bring Israel out of Egypt. And he will bring them to the promised land. Moses would lead. But God would be there. He would be the one doing it. But now he's not tells Moses, I'm not going. So here's Moses' request. I just think this is so profound. Verse 13. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you. I think at this point, Moses is perplexed, he's confused, he doesn't know what what to do. He doesn't know what God's going to do. So he simply asked one thing, one question, one one request. Please show me your ways that I may know you. In fact, as I was studying this and just kind of meditating on this request that Moses asked, because you're like, well, what's this have to do with his presence being with you? It kind of reminded me of Solomon's request. And Solomon was given anything he wanted. He asked for wisdom. It was like the right thing to ask for. I think this is just so profound. Moses is, is confusing. He just show me, show me who you are. Show me your ways. He's saying, you know me. He's made that clear, right? Moses is saying, you know me. You know me by name. Now please show me who you are. Moses is asking God to reveal himself. He wants to know who God is. He wants to know what it means that God is Yahweh. Remember, this is the overarching theme of the whole book of Exodus. God is revealing his name, what it means that he is Yahweh. He wants to know God's ways. How is Israel ever going to have a relationship with Yahweh if they are sinners? This is what Moses wants to know. How is this going to work, God? So he just asks, please please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, this this nation, that this nation is your people. It's not the people, it's your people, God. Moses is just asking, how is this all going to work out? You are holy, they are sinners, but we need you. We need your presence. Therefore, consider this nation your people. Moses wants to know God's ways so he can please him. Now, the response to this request is very important. It's very important. In fact, verses 15, 14 and 15 is a quick interaction between Yahweh and Moses. Super important, but a little confusing. We just warn you. Especially when you read them together. Maybe you saw that as I read this morning already, but look at verse 14. It says this, and he, this is God, this is a response to Moses' request, he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Okay, Moses, in other words, I'll go with you. But then look at verse 15. It says this, and he, this is Moses, said to him, God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Now, wait a second. Didn't God just say that his presence will go with him? Granting Moses' request, I'll be with you, it'll be with you as you go. What's going on here? Well, these two verses seem to even contradict each other, but, but that only seems that way when you read that, and, th- and that's true because of two problems with the translation. There's two problems. First, there's a problem with the English language. And second, there's a problem with the ESV's translation of this passage. And let me just say this before I move on. I love both of those sayings. I, mean, I love the English language. It's the only ling- language I speak, so. And ESV translation is my favorite translation. But all translations have their problems. The inspired word is the Hebrew in the Old Testament, the Greek in the New Testament. These are translations of the inspired word, and, and translations do a marvelous job. You can trust your translations. Let me explain what I mean. Let me start with the English language. English language, it causes problems in verse 14. Look at verse 14. It says this, and he, that's God, and he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Unfortunately, for how much I love the English language, the second personal pronoun in English, you, is the same in both singular and plural. Meaning you, singular, if I'm talking to an individual, or you, plural, if I'm talking to many of you. This is why people in the South are smart and say y'all. Don't look down on that. It's clarifying. Therefore, it's, it's hard in English to tell who God is talking about when he says my presence will go with you. Or that he's even emphasizing something, because I think God is emphasizing something. In fact, in its context, if you look at the verse just above it, it almost sounds like he's talking about Israel. Okay, Moses, I'll go with the entire nation. I'll go with y'all, in other words. But he's not, and we know this for sure, because in the Hebrew, the personal pronoun you is not plural. It's singular. Therefore, he's talking about Moses in verse 14. He's saying something like this in verse 14. My presence will go with you, Moses. And I will give you singular rest. In other words, my presence will go with you, and not the people. This brings me to verse 15, where there's a problem with the ESV's translation. Look at verse 15. It says this: "And he, as Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here." Now this is confusing because didn't God just say, "My presence will go with you, Moses"? Well, the ESV does a bad job at translating this, and here's why. The phrase, with me, is not in the Hebrew. It's added for clarification. Therefore, a more word-for-word translation would be something like this, verse 15. And he said to him, if your presence will not go, do not bring us up from here. That's a more word-for-word translation, but I think a more clarifying translation is how the NASB translates this. The NASB says this, Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Meaning, once again, Moses is identifying with the people. He's identifying with the people. Either your presence goes with all of us, or don't send us, God. So let me put it together, and I think you'll see it. Verse 14, just watch. It says, And and God said, this is God, And God said, My presence will go with you, Moses, and I will bring you, singular, rest, not the people. Verse 15, Then he, this is Moses, said to him, If your presence doesn't go with us, meaning me and the people, you do not lead us up from here. Now, I said this earlier, and I'm going to say it again. Pay attention to the personal pronouns here. These words intentional, extremely important in this conversation between God and Moses. God is telling Moses, "My, my presence will go with you, Moses, and I'll give you rest, but not the people, because you have found favor in my sight, and the people have sinned. If you look at the context, Moses responds by saying, if your presence isn't going with the people, meaning all of us, then don't lead us to the promised land. We will just stay here. Again, Moses is identifying with the people. But let me point something else out that I think is extremely important. Because again, Moses' words are very intentional. What does he say? He says this. Do not lead us up from here. Why would he say that? In essence, I believe Moses is saying this. It would be better for Israel, the people, to live in the wilderness in the presence of God at Mount Sinai than to live in the promised land Paradise, a land flowing with milk and honey without him. Did you hear that? Moses is saying it would be better to live with God in the desert, in the wilderness, than in paradise without him. If you're not going to go, don't send us. We'll stay here. And once again, this is leads to an application, it leads to a question. Do you believe that? Would you be okay with God's blessings, but not God himself? Would you be okay with comfort, health, wealth, if God wasn't there? Or can you say as Job did, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. As long as you are glorified, God, as long as your name is blessed, I'm content. Your will be done. Or can you say, as Paul did, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ, not his blessings, Christ himself. Here's the question. Ask yourself this. Are you pursuing a relationship with God? Or are you just pursuing the blessings God can provide? Because those are two different things. Listen, Moses was not content with just God's blessings. He wanted more. He wanted God himself. And he wanted this for Israel, too. This is why he continues to intercede on on Israel's behalf, look at verse 16, and pay attention to the personal pronouns. For, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in you going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Moses understood that what made Israel special wasn't the promised land wasn't God's blessings. It was God himself. Once again, Moses is saying, if, if you not go with the people to the promised land, then don't send us. We'll stay here. We'll stay here with you. Now I want you to hear God's response to Moses in verse 17. Again, so profound. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do in other words I, I grant your request moses i will go with the people i will be gracious to israel but moses here's why for here's the reason for you singular for you moses have found favor in my sight and i know you started the sermon this morning talking about the difference of mercy and grace. God has been merciful to Israel up to this point. He's not giving Israel what they deserved, which would be death and destruction because of their sin. But in verse 17, God is gracious to Israel. Giving Israel something they, they don't deserve himself. His presence. But you know what's profound about verse 17 is why God is going to be gracious. He's going to be gracious because of Israel's mediator. This very thing that you have spoken, I will do for, here's the reason, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you, Moses, by name. I'll be gracious to the people because of you, Moses. Who does that point us to? Jesus. This points us to Jesus. Remember Hebrews 3, verse 3, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. (laughs) You hear that? We talk about privileged position, but Jesus has been counted more glory than Moses, as much more glory as a builder of a house has, more honor than the house itself, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. Indeed, we hold fast our confession and our boasting in our hope, which is Christ. Similarly to Israel, our only hope is found in our mediator of our sin our only hope for reconciliation between God and us is found in Jesus the truer and better Moses let me just say something that I think is important as you interpret scripture you are not Moses <laughs> these three chapters are not about how you can pray better to God you are Israel Moses points us to Jesus This. I said that studying Moses will help us understand Jesus better, especially his role as mediator. Well, we've talked about John 17 a number of times because it relates to Moses' intercession. And this is often called that chapter, of the high priestly prayer. I'd encourage you just to read it. Read it a number of times as we kind of continue through this passage. It's where Jesus intercedes on behalf of his disciples, and, and it's very clear in it. it on behalf of the disciples to come, meaning us, as our mediator. And his intercession, his prayer, he prays for God's grace to be bestowed on us, not just his mercy, but his grace. Here's the amazing thing. God could answer Jesus' prayer, and I believe he does in the same exact way he answered Moses' Jesus, my son, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you, my son, have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. God is gracious to us, not because of anything we have done. Again, we're Israel. (laughs) We've sinned. We've screwed it up. But instead, he's gracious to us because of our meeting. Because Jesus has found favor in his sight. Let me just end by reading Ephesians 1, verse 3, which says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, that's his grace, in Christ. It's through Christ that we receive his grace with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Father, our Lord, it's through your Son that, that, that we even have a privilege of, of praying to you, that you hear our prayers because of your Son, Lord. I, I just thank you for your grace that is poured out on us to to the glory of you, to the glory of your Son. God, I'm reminded as I walk through this passage that your son continues to intercede on our behalf. He continues to intercede on my behalf as I am a sinner. He's our advocate. God, help us to worship you, worship your son better, Lord, through walking through these passages as we learn exactly how Moses interacted, how he interceded, how this points us to perfect mediator, which is your son, who is both God and man. God, I just pray that we're in